0: Well, today, uh, we're in week two of a series called Compassion According to Jesus. And throughout the month of June, uh, we're spending our time in Luke chapter 7, uh, learning about how Jesus served four unlikely people with compassion. I think these encounters, they, they teach us more about who Jesus is, but also what it means to live for him as we look for ways to serve people with compassion in our own circle of influence. Now, as I've been thinking about this idea of, of biblical compassion, what does it mean to serve others well? I've been reminded about several great examples that I've seen here within our own church. And one example is how many of you came alongside Phil and Carrie Small before Carrie went home to be with the Lord April of last year. Now, having experienced two strokes, you know, her, her last days, were not easy, but several people from our church family decided to come alongside her, to come alongside Phil, loving them and serving them like Jesus. I have a few names that I want to mention today um, just to highlight what was, what was done and to give God the, the glory for this, but I know Pat Eveland, um, Sandy Respicio, Karen Sandvold, uh, Kim Sykema, Stephanie Lidvina, Deanna Holock, uh, Bruce and April Hankey, uh, Anita Evenson, Sylvia Osindi, Rich and Judy Volden, and Donna Head. These are just a few of the people that I was reminded about this week. And I'm sure there are many more of you out there. But they helped Carrie with, you know, technology issues so that her and her husband could watch the service from home on Sunday morning. They spent a lot of time with Carrie, singing with her, dancing with her, walking and, and talking, just carrying on conversation. They attended to her needs when Phil had to be out of the house. They helped with yard work. Uh, They ran errands for them, helped even stay the night at the hospital so that Phil could go home and get some rest. Now, I also was reminded that, you know, even in the midst of this very difficult season for their family, Phil managed to find time to serve his church family by helping take care of the weeds in our own church lawn. And that's just amazing. So I think it's important for us to remember things like this to celebrate how God has used people for kingdom work in the past so that we can be encouraged to serve people well in the present and in the future. I think it's good to remember things like that. Amen? It's good to celebrate that. Well, the text that we're going to read from today provides another awesome example of how Jesus served an unlikely person with compassion. And as we'll see, there are several important truths that we can take away from this story. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, please turn with me to Luke chapter 7. We're going to read from verses 11 through 17. I'll I'll read it all uh, in its entirety, and then we'll go back and unpack what we uh, we read. I'll provide some practical application along the way. So Luke chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 11. This is what we read. Soon afterward... Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with, and what's the word? Compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Let's pray together before we go any further this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing us together today. We thank you for your written word, and uh, God, I thank you for preserving this throughout the generations for your people I'm well aware that today there are people here and listening online that have um, been struggling this week, and Lord, they need to hear from you. They need to be reminded about who you are and uh, that we can build our lives on the promises of your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would uh, teach us um, and, then, and then show us how to apply what we learn to our lives so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus in this time and in this place. Help us to learn from Jesus, to live like Jesus. We pray all these things in in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So shortly after Jesus healed the centurion's servant in Capernaum, remember that was the text from last week, he and his disciples traveled 25 miles south to the small village of Nain. Now, 25 miles uh, doesn't sound like that long of a trip. But remember, these were likely, uh, this distance was likely traveled on foot. How many of you want to walk 25 miles today? Yeah, maybe one or two. <laughs> Not very many. But this would have been at least a day's journey. Now, when I read this story... I wonder if the disciples thought Jesus was was just being spontaneous. You know, as far as we can tell, no one invited Jesus to come to Nain. He just went there because we know that was part of God's plan. On this trip, the disciples learned another important lesson about divine interruptions. You know, why would God have them leave Capernaum? This is a place um, where God was doing amazing things. Why would he lead them to this small farming village just a day's walk away? Well, as Jesus approached the village gate uh, with his disciples in tow and a large crowd following him, people were just watching Jesus, witnessing the, the amazing things that he was doing. So as Jesus approached the village gate, a funeral procession was coming out of the village. And since it was custom for the Jews to bury their dead the same day, I think it's safe to assume that Jesus arrived in the afternoon the day that this boy died. Verse 12 tells us that it was a young man who had died and that he was a widow's only son. Now I don't want you to visualize a casket like what we're used to to seeing at funerals today and I don't know why the NLT translation uses the word coffin it's really not what this scene would have been instead think about a stretcher that was carried by a few uh, strong men and the boy's body would have been carried on this stretcher his body would have also been covered up with something like a sheet we're told that the boy's mother was also part of this procession he was her only son and to make things worse, she was also a widow. And friends, this is heartbreaking for several reasons. I mean, first, to lose a child is, is terrible. It's an unnatural event that no parent should ever have to experience. When we know people in, in our lives and in the church that have experienced this. Our job is to surround them, to come around them, to serve them, and to love them well. Children are supposed to bury their parents not the other way around. This is heartbreaking. And second, this woman's livelihood was likely lost. You know, being a widow, um, her son would have taken care of her as he got older, but instead she was left alone with virtually no way of providing for herself. Although heartbreaking, this divine interruption, it teaches us three important truths about Jesus And my prayer this week is that these truths would would encourage you, that as you leave here today, you would be filled up. You would know a little bit more about the God that that we serve, how God relates to you. Number one, if you're taking notes, um, Jesus always gives help when we need it. Jesus always gives help when we need it. Look with me to verses 11 and 12. It says, Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, And a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. So, when we read this, I think the right response for us is just to be in awe. It's to be in awe at the providence of God. When we read about Jesus meeting the funeral procession as they were headed to the burial site, and what a difference there was. In, in attitude and emotions between the crowd that was following Jesus into the village and the crowd that was following the funeral procession out. Jesus and his disciples were likely celebrating because of all that God had just done in Capernaum. But the widow and, and her friends and family, they were grieving the loss of her only child. Jesus was heading for the village while the mourners were heading for the cemetery. They were crossing paths. And this is where we see this first point that's in your bulletin, that Jesus always gives help when we need it. Jesus took the the, the time to see this woman, to truly see her, someone who was hurting, even though the people in in his circle of influence were happy. He does the same thing in our lives today. Let me share three verses with you that highlight this truth. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says, So let us come boldly, to the throne of our gracious God, there we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. So regardless of what we go through, we can approach God with confidence solely because of who he is. Jesus is our savior. He's Messiah and Lord. And the Bible tells us that God gives us his mercy. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. You gotta remember that. That when we come to God, mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And he also gives us his grace, which is getting something that we don't deserve. God is always there to help us when we need it most. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. You know, We often wish that we could escape the storms of life. It's not pleasant to have to persevere through the pain of grief, the pain of loss, sorrow, and failure. Even the small daily frustrations that we experience can wear us down. But God promises to be close to the brokenhearted. And he doesn't say that We're never going to experience storms, but that when we do, he's going to be with us. God is our source of strength, our source of courage, our source of wisdom, helping us through the storms of life. God is close to the brokenhearted. For some of you, that's the verse that you need to take with you today. And Psalm 46, verse 1, that God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Something that I know about everyone in this room, and that is that all of us are weak, inadequate, or incapable in some areas of life. That that describes all of us. We need God's help to move ahead. We need God's help to get the job done, to restore a broken relationship, to forgive someone who's hurt us to make wise choices, just to be the people that God has called us to be. We can't do this in our own strength, in our own effort. The truth about how Jesus always gives help to us when we need it, it goes far beyond grieving the loss of a loved one, although it does not exclude that kind of hurt. That's the example that we see in this story. This truth is applicable for every area of our lives. Number two, if you're taking notes, Jesus understands our pain. Jesus understands our pain. Luke chapter 7, verse 13. When Jesus saw her, uh, being the, the, the widow, the, the mother who had just lost her child, it says, When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Remember, compassion is giving up my wants to meet another person's needs. Compassion is your pain in my heart. That's what the title of today's message is. It's your pain in my heart. That's what we see right here. His heart overflowed with compassion. Jesus was able to identify with the widow's heartache, with her suffering. Not not only was she grieving, but she also felt alone because her husband had died. She just lost her child. But little did she know, she was not alone. Jesus was with her. He understood what she was going through. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16, we read this verse just a few minutes ago, reminds us about how we can approach God with confidence regardless of what's going on in our lives, regardless of what we go through. But if you read that passage in context, you look at the two verses leading up to verse 16, we're reminded about how Jesus actually understands what we go through. So not only can we approach God with confidence, but guess what? The God that we serve, the God of the Bible, he understands. Verses 14 and 15 says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He understands. For he faced all of the same things we do, yet he did not sin. I think oftentimes, especially during The storms of life, those difficult seasons that we go through. We struggle with the thought that the people around us, they just don't understand what we're going through. I can't even begin to count how many times I've heard people say this. Other people just don't understand. They just don't understand. You know, the good thing for those of us who are Christians is that we don't necessarily have to understand or even identify with what every person in our circle of influence is going through in order to love them and to serve them with compassion. And the reason is because we have a great high priest, a Savior, Jesus, who does understand what we go through. When you're going through a difficult season, you know, nothing means more than, than to have someone come alongside you who understands. So let me say it again, friends. Jesus understands. He understands. He understands what it's like to face temptation, even though he never sinned. He understands what it's like to experience poverty. He understands frustration, weariness, rejection, sorrow, ridicule, Jesus understands loneliness and even loss. In one of his psalms, David wrote these words about God. This is my favorite passage from the message today. I read this this week and just thought, I have to share this with you. I just think this is so amazing. Psalm 139, verses 3 through 6. David wrote this about God. He says, you see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything that I do. You know what I'm going to say before I even say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. So no matter what you go through, no matter where you go, you have a God who, who is intimately acquainted with all of your days. Just think about that for a moment. This, this knowledge is too wonderful to even understand. This means that God doesn't stand back distant from you. Instead, he wants to be with you, even the most difficult parts of your life. And When Jesus saw the woman who had just lost her son, the Bible says his heart overflowed with compassion. That's your pain in my heart. Jesus understands. I do want to make sure that, that I mention that this amazing truth does not negate our responsibility to come alongside one another to come alongside people who are hurting. You know, Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4. He says that that he being God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. So the the idea is simple, that God comforts us so that we can in turn comfort others. Yes, we have a God who helps us when we need it, who understands our pain, but we're also called to stand in the gap for others when they're hurting, when they're not able to hold themselves up. When someone you know is hurting, think about all the ways in which God has comforted you. How God has ministered to you. And then model that same kind of comfort for them. When you've been the recipient of God's wisdom, you can share that wisdom with someone else. When you've been encouraged through God's word, and I pray that's often, share that encouragement with others. Don't just keep it to yourself. When God has carried you through a storm, you can learn how to help bear someone else's burdens as well. You know, one of the great privileges and responsibilities of being a Christian is to offer comfort to those who are hurting. This is one of the unique ministries. The local church has to offer a hurting world. And the great thing is that today you don't have to sign up in advance to serve. <laughs> All right? After service, you don't have to go to the Connection Center and, and, and pull up the iPad and sign up to serve people with compassion. No, You just need to look for opportunities to comfort others with the same kind of comfort that God has given you. The pastor I served with in Oklahoma City, um, he used to say, you don't have to be a pastor to serve others or, or comfort others well. You don't have to be an elder or you don't have to be a counselor. Anybody can do this. All you have to do is show up and shut up. That's one of the greatest things that we can do for someone. You may not have the right words to say, but just be present. That goes so far. Just show up and shut up and see how God will use that. Look for opportunities to comfort others with the same kind of comfort that God has given you. You don't need a degree in ministry to do this. Number three, and when I share this point, it's going to be layered kind of like a cake. And uh, I don't know about you, but I can't eat too much cake. The, the sweetness of it sometimes is, is overwhelming. And I was thinking about this point a lot this week because it kind of builds as we go. So if there was a point during the, the message today that you really focus in on God's word and really take what it has to say, I think this is the point. Number three, Jesus faced death so that we don't have to. Jesus faced death so that we don't have to. Let's first look at the text, uh, Luke 7, 14 through 17. And then he walked over to the coffin and touched it. And the bears stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great uh, fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. So what's happening here? Well, Jesus walked over to the stretcher. The men who were carrying the boy's lifeless body, they they stood as Jesus reached out and touched it. And once again, Jesus simply spoke. He just spoke. He said, young man, I tell you, get up. And immediately the young boy sat up and started talking. I mean, can you imagine what this must have looked like? Can you imagine what this must have been like? I've seen YouTube videos of people pranking uh, other people at funerals. I I don't recommend this. This is a terrible idea, but this was no prank. As the boy sat up, the sheep moved up with him. He got down from the stretcher, and Jesus presented him to his mother. What a reunion. God's power, friends, was on full display, And, and what a reminder to us That at the voice of Jesus, even the dead come to life. Amen? At the voice of Jesus, even the dead come to life. The Bible says that fear swept over the crowd. Now, I, I read this and I thought, oh, that makes sense. Like, this would have been terrifying. But if you look at the Greek word, it's not the kind of fear that we experience when you're afraid of something. This just means the people were in awe. They marveled at what Jesus had done. And this makes complete sense when you read the rest of the verse where it says, um, uh, the the people said, a mighty prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people today. These people were in awe. They marveled at what Jesus was doing. And we're going to hit the kind of the pause button. We're going to shift gears for a second. And this is the part where the, the layer of the cake gets a little thicker See, this story, I think, provides an opportunity for us today to talk about death, something that we don't like to talk about, and and about what will happen when Jesus returns and we're reunited with our loved ones who've gone ahead of us. You know, Paul wrote about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 18. I often read this text, this passage at a funeral, like a graveside service. And this passage is meant to offer encouragement to the church. It's meant to, be, uh, to, to remind us of the hope that we have in Christ. So Paul wrote these words. He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. So it doesn't say don't grieve. We're supposed to grieve, but we grieve like people who have hope. Because our hope is firmly rooted in Christ. The believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. And in verse 18, Paul wrote, So encourage each other with these words. This is meant to be an encouragement. So the, the Christians in Thessalonica, they had questions about why the people they loved had to die. 2,000 years later, we ask those same questions. Why? They had questions about what would happen when Jesus returned. They were being told that Jesus promised he would come back for his people. So Paul, he wanted these believers to understand that death is not the end of the story. For those who are in Christ, death does not get the final word. Amen? Amen? See, when Jesus returns, all believers, dead and alive, will be reunited never to suffer or die again. Now, some people, they read passages like this or they go to the book of Revelation or anywhere else that talks about end time events. They, they, they try to come up with a man-made formula for when and how these things will take place. And I've seen so many Christians get sidetracked and, and kind of lost because they, they, they try to figure out things that God has not revealed to us. And, and I want you to I want to be clear about this. It's important that we study all of God's word, that we're informed about all that God wants us to be informed about. But the details about how and when these things will happen are not nearly as important as the overarching truth itself. And that is that when it comes to the issue of death, God wants us to be encouraged by what happens to believers, not confused. God wants us to be encouraged, not confused. He wants us to have faith, not fear. This passage is meant to be an encouragement to all believers because the same love that unites believers in this life will unite believers when Jesus returns and reigns in glory for all of eternity. There's a famous phrase that Martin Luther wrote in the margin of his Bible. Now your margin of your Bible only has so much space, so what you write there needs to be important, would you agree? Doesn't have a whole lot of space. Well, this is what he wrote. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. What does this mean? Well, the Bible talks about life and death in two ways. You have uh, physical life and you have spiritual life. I want to unpack that a little bit this morning. Physical life is given to all creation by the breath of God breathed into our bodies. Genesis 2-7 reminds us of that. And then it's taken away when that breath leaves the body and returns to the God who gave it. We see that in Ecclesiastes 12. So practically speaking, we receive physical life at the moment of conception, and then we lose it when we die. And that's why we say things like life is fleeting, because it is. Spiritual life, uh, on the other hand, it was also given to us by God. It refers to the eternal part of us that lives beyond the physical life of our bodies. And we read about this in the book of Isaiah. So in the beginning, um, Adam and Eve, they had an eternal physical life as well as an eternal spiritual life. Now, they didn't really understand this. They didn't understand what God meant when he warned them about eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When God said, if you eat this fruit, you are sure to die. Die? What is that? Never experienced die before. Never experienced this word. Well, when they ate the fruit and they sinned, the Bible tells us that sin and death entered the world. Not only physical death, but spiritual death. Now, before we get really frustrated and we decide to jump Adam and Eve today, we need to remember, friends, that we too are sinners by nature and by choice. Paul wrote about this in Romans 5, verse 12, when he says that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. So when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Sin brings physical death, but far worse, it brings the spiritual death of being separated from God for all eternity. We're going to add another layer to this cake. Our physical death, our physical death represents our first death. But afterwards, the Bible calls our spiritual death the second death. As terrible as this is, there's a silver lining. There's good news. See, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross in our place and was raised to life, defeating sin, defeating Satan, and defeating death so that we can have a restored relationship with God. The apostle John wrote that for those who are born again, that's the phrase that he uses, born again. For those who are born again and remain faithful, uh, the second death that the Bible talks about has no power. So all of us are born at least once. And all of us die at least once. However, if we're not born again in Christ, we'll die twice. First physically and then spiritually in the second death that the Bible talks about, eternally separated from God. Now, on the other hand, if we're born twice, so first physically and then spiritually, if you're born again in Christ, we'll only die once, untouched by the second death. So in short... If we're only born once, we'll die both physically and spiritually. But if we're born twice, we'll still die physically, but we'll live on spiritually with God forever. That's why Martin Luther wrote, Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. You know, talking with a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. Jesus said these words in John chapter three, verse three. He said, "I tell you the truth. unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God." Now, as you can imagine, this was an extremely confusing conversation for Nicodemus. And so what John does is the rest of John chapter three, he's explaining this amazing truth that Jesus was, was sharing. And then you get down to verses like John 3.16, which says, For this is how God loved the world, or "For, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And that brings us full circle back to this truth that we're talking about, that Jesus faced death so that we don't have to. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. You know, the story in Luke 7 about Jesus raising the widow's son, it's an important reminder about who Jesus is and what he's done for us and how God relates to us. Jesus always helps us when we need it. Jesus understands our pain And Jesus faced death so that we don't have to. Today, friends, I want to encourage you again to learn from Jesus' example as you look for opportunities to serve others with compassion. Remember, compassion is giving up your wants to meet another person's need. Compassion is your pain in my heart. Do you take the time to see people like Jesus sees people? I also want to encourage you With the truth that you're not alone when you go through the storms of life. It can feel that way at times. But in Christ, you're not alone. God is with you. And he's given us one another. He's given us the body of Christ, the church. As the church, we're meant to encourage one another, comfort one another, and bear each other's burdens. And finally, remember that death does not get the final word. Death doesn't get the final say. We have the promised hope of eternity that that is kept safe for us in Christ. And we can prepare for that eternity by living for Jesus today.